Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to help make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, it's to educate, teach you about how we can have reversals like we did today. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, sometimes the market seems to make no sense whatsoever. Or does it? We've been trained to believe that if interest rates go higher, you have to sell stocks. We've also seen that if oil goes higher, you have to sell stocks. That's certainly what September has taught us, right? But today, rates went up big and oil went up big. And after an initial meltdown, it meant nothing to the stock market. Dow finishing off 69 points, but the S&P advancing 0.02%. Most importantly, the Nasdaq actually gaining 0.22%. After being crushed intraday, it was hideous. How's this comeback possible? Is it fanciful or real? Okay, we got oversold. That's how. And you never bet against an oversold market. We have stocks that have been dropping for days, for weeks. And it just hasn't mattered at all until today. Why? Two reasons. First, we're about to turn the page from the horrendous month of September to a month that historically does pretty well, particularly if September's bad. It's almost as if September brings rain, October bears food. Fruit. Fruit. There's too much history of that happening to ignore the seasonal pattern. You can't afford to ignore history. That always makes for bad choices, even if interest rates are much higher and oil soaring. Second, and perhaps more important, as I tell members of the CMC Investing Club almost every day, including especially today, we use a totem, something that's objective and historically has been spot on and helping us. It's a paid service that I get. It's called the S&P Oscillator. I use it to measure when the market's overbought or oversold. Now, I know this kind of thing probably sounds like genuine Wall Street gibberish. What the heck's an oscillator other than some wavy line that never made sense when we took those physics classes? So let me explain. The oscillator measures what we call buying and selling pressure. Its baseline is zero which means at zero, there's not much buying or selling pressure. Things are relevant. Same at plus two or minus two. Eh, it doesn't really matter. Kind of meaningless. But when the oscillator gets, say, to plus five, it means there's just way too much enthusiasm and you need to do some selling. Sell, sell, sell. Definitely too late to buy. At plus five, you've missed that upper move. How about the other way? Mirror image. This morning, the oscillator opened at minus five and changed. Intraday, we had gigantic selling pressure, way too much. And we get that oversold, indeed, we tend to rebound. Sure enough, this afternoon, we had that snapback rally. I asked around. Everybody didn't seem to. No one knew why. But everything I'm telling you is probably why it did happen. Every time we hit this level of oversold in the last year, in the last year, every time, caught around. Sometimes it was small, sometimes it was large. You could say it's alchemy, but it's worked for me almost since the time I first started following in 1987. You simply cannot sell when we get this oversold. 
Just like it was too late to buy at plus five, it's too late to sell when you're minus five. You got to wait for the market to go higher. And if the oscillator is even more negative, well, you got to just buy. That's what happened this afternoon. That and nothing else, because interest rates in oil were awful today. They were higher, and they called the tune in this market for real. Does that make me a technician? Look, I like I look at everything. Okay, anything that can help us make money, you and I are going to get. I can't go against a tool that's worked for me for the many years. I trust the oscillator over the fundamentals short term, just short term especially when we're coming into such a seasonally strong period for stocks. Now, I can't get in the heads of those sellers, especially the sellers of tech, who seem to walk away around 1 p.m. like there was something that happened. But it happened. And I respect that maybe they, too, thought that, wow, maybe they were selling too low first time at last. Will they stay away? I don't know. If the market goes higher, maybe they'll come back. We keep getting these readings that show the consumer struggling, and we know that the price at the pump will certainly make things worse. Credit card delinquencies and financing rates and home prices have continued to go higher. Relentlessly higher as rates have gone up. On a day like today where interest rates were tame until oil shot up, we know we have to focus on this volatile, volatile commodity. Our biggest problem is that we can't find a reason why oil might actually go down. We know that the Saudis have kept their production disciplined. Everyone we've spoken to has a good track record, says that oil can go to 100, but not much further. Now, this is interesting. At 93 and change, maybe some jumped off. Hard to tell, as the American oil company so often willing to produce to excess when prices are this high, haven't done it. They aren't even tempted. We don't see many new rigs swing into action. We do see better productivity. But normally when oil's above $90, they'd be drilling like darn crazy because they'd be so excited. Not happening. So we can't find a reason for interest rates to stop going higher either. We still have the Treasury selling vast qualities of bonds. The Fed's still selling bonds, pushes prices down, yields up. Now, we do see some signs of inflation peaking, which is big. We have the CEO of Costco on tonight, the third of the big three retailers, with only Amazon and Walmart being bigger. I am very excited to have Craig Jelinek on the show because last night, Costco's incredibly good CFO, Rich Colante, who runs the call, told us that inflation at their stores has dropped to 1% to 2%, down from 3 to 4% in the previous quarter. Now, if Jay Powell shops at Costco, like everybody else, maybe he sees the pricing pressure they've applied to their vendors. At the same time, though, We know that as long as unemployment stays low, we may be stuck with higher interest rates. As long as people have jobs, they'll continue to borrow. They need to make the car payments because they got to get to work. They need to make the mortgage payments because their home keeps going up in value. And if they locked in low mortgage rates, pretty good anyway. The Fed truly wants to beat inflation and send rates lower. We may just see we're going to have to see mass layoffs. And you and I both know that. I know that's not what we want, but it's what we need. Just don't want it to be us. All that said, I talked about capitulation yesterday and how you could cut it with a plastic knife. I said the gloom was so awful that you knew people were leaving the market in droves. So I saw this guy on the street today who said to me, he said, hey, hey, you, um, I know you are. Uh, why don't you stop the selling? Why can't you stop it? And I, I explained that as big as my head is, I don't have that kind of magical power. He gave me a contemptuous look like, well, how can I be so useless? When we're flying toward a market chop, people do not stop me on the street and ask me for help to get the market higher. When you get desperate like we had today, I am besieged with people who say, can't you stop the selling? Oh, I wish I had that power. I am able to tell, though, when too many people have that same desperate, desperate feel and desperation is driving the bus. I use that trusty oscillator, and club members know all too well it can uh, more or less measure how many people are really asking me to turn the market around in a much less anecdotal, more empirical way. Now, let me tell you what tends to happen when you see these kind of intraday reversals to the upside. There tends to be a wave of bullish analysts who've been hiding. They're under, the, under their desk, they're in their bunkers, and after seemingly endless selling, well, they come out tomorrow morning and they tell you all sorts of stuff you already knew, but it's, this time it has an impact. The people who've been short the 10-year Treasury, the most ever recorded, start being fearful of, of being short 
Maybe someone takes profits in oil. Is it all technical and based on sentiment? Yeah, I don't know. Is it about the nearing of October? Yeah, I don't know. Did today's interest rate bounce mean a lot? Well, yeah, kind of did. Here's the bottom line. Because for once in the last four weeks, the Bears, who have been having a jolly good time of it, finally had something to fear. And that alone means that there could be a rally, at least as long as nothing whatsoever happens to the bond market or oil tomorrow, because this godforsaken month is almost over, and it's historically worth it come next week to be a little more bullish than the fundamentals would indicate. Let's take calls. Let's go to Rodney in Texas. Rodney. Jimmy the Chill, fly, eagles, fly, and a big booyah to your friend, you and Dave Faber, on his 30th anniversary. How do you like that? 30 years. Congratulations. We had this mob bell on on the site. It was just fantastic. What's happening? Hey, I'm invested in Airbnb, and I've been in it for a while, and I've seen it. This year has been doing extremely well, but it's yep. gone up in around the end of July. And it took a dip. And it came up in the middle of September. It took another dip. Mm-hmm. My question for you is this. Is it right now, is it a sell, buy, or hold? Okay. And what do you think it's going to do? This is just a great question. Let me tell you how I feel about this. Now, when the stock was at 90, when it was at 100, when it was at 110, we had Brian Chesky on. And you know what? Each time people said, I watched that interview. He's saying business is weak. I would then call him. He says, what? I, I said business was strong. Business is strong. The stock at 134, it is still a buy. Today's intraday bounce showed that finally, after the last few, four weeks, that Bears have something to fear, and that's what really drove things. On my money tonight, Cloudflare, yes, symbol net, surged today on a host of collaboration announcements. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of the cloud company to see if this could move, could be the real deal. Then the sun isn't shining on those solar stocks, is it? After weeks of poor performance, I'm digging deeper into the cohort. Give me some ways to play it, and boy, I got a good one. And everyone's talking about shrinking the retail sector, but Costco's not seeing much of an impact. I'm getting to the bottom of what's working for this unbelievable big box store that is a huge position for, yes, indeed, my charitable trust. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. 
with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look at the stock of Cloudflare go. As part of its annual birthday week celebration, which Cloudflare releases its latest and greatest innovations, the Internet Infrastructure and Cybersecurity Player made a series of very exciting artificial intelligence announcements this morning and sent the stock up nearly 7%. Kramer Fave Cloudflare has spent the last couple of weeks pulling back with the rest of tech, but clearly their AI news was enough to move the needle. They've got new partnerships, get this, with NVIDIA, with Microsoft, with Meta. And these are meaningful, maybe not to this quarter, but certainly to 2024. And they're doing great things for new tools for developers. I've long been a fan of Cloudflare because they make the digital trains run on time and safe. AI is all about keeping businesses operating more efficiently and saving money. I think it's a good fit. Don't take it from me, though. Let's dig deeper on Birthday Week with Matthew Prince. He's the co-founder, chair, and CEO of Cloudflare. To learn more, Mr. Prince, welcome back to Mint Money. Jim, thanks for having me. All right, so Matthew, before we get into the nitty gritty, let's take it at a high level. What does uh, what does generative AI technologies in the aggregate mean to you, and why does it represent such a major opportunity for Cloudflare? You know, there are two parts of AI. One is training, which is where you build the models. But the real value in AI comes from actually using those models in order to do inference. And we think that inference is going to run in one of two places. One is going to be on your device itself. So if you have an Apple iPhone and you go to your Photos app and search for Passport, it comes up because Apple has loaded a model on to their phones that knows what passports look like and can search through all your photos. But some of these models are more complex than that. Some of them are bigger than that. Some of them won't fit on your phone. And we think that the next best place for those models to run is on a network like Cloudflare, where we can be just milliseconds away, but have the resources to run the most complicated, powerful models. Well, one of the things that I found disturbing when I read your stuff is this notion of the captivity cloud versus the connectivity cloud. And that there are actually cloud cloud businesses that don't want you to leave. And yet what you just described should would really be hindered by that. So we should all kind of be rooting for what Cloudflare is doing here. You know, I think that there are good places for the traditional hyperscale public cloud providers, but they've designed their business models often to be like the Hotel California. You can put your data in, but they charge you to take it back out. At Cloudflare, we believe you should be able to take your data to wherever innovation is being done, wherever the best features are. And what we see from the hottest AI to startups that are using Cloudflare at record paces is that they want to use multiple different clouds and use Cloudflare as the way to connect them all together, give them a layer of security, give them the tools that they need, and get the best out of Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, not be locked into any one of them. Okay, now a lot of companies have come to me and say, listen, Jim, we know you love NVIDIA. Well, we were just in a picture with Jensen Wong. Or, you know what, we visited Jensen Wong, and he really understands us. I thought that your actual NVIDIA tech closer to the edge is what 
Jensen has spoken to me about as being most important. So maybe you can talk about how this is not a photo op, NVIDIA. You know, I think NVIDIA is an incredible company. We've worked with them on a number of different things over the years, some of their networking products, some of their early AI products, and we're really doubling down on that relationship. I think the fact that they weren't able to acquire ARM to get into the device, being on Cloudflare is the next best place that they can be in order to give their incredibly powerful chips access to developers and being able to do AI at the edge of the network and for any device that is connected anywhere across the internet. All right, so let's just dig down for our, our members, viewers who don't know. Edge of the network is a very important term for everybody. Maybe you can put that in English for people who are not that familiar with the nitty gritty. Yeah, so the cloud in the first generation of cloud companies, they tended to be in centralized locations, Ashburn, Virginia, in the sort of rural Oregon coast, places where either networks came together or where power was very, very cheap. Cloudflare has approached the problem differently. Instead of putting a lot of machines in one location, we have spread them all around the world. And so today we're in hundreds of cities around the world, we're in over 120 countries, and we're within just milliseconds of everyone on earth. And that's powerful for a couple of thing, reasons. The first is time. We can make these processes faster by being close to them. We can effectively beat the speed of light by moving data, moving the technology closer to them. But importantly also, as more and more countries and, and jurisdictions say that you have to keep data local, as privacy matters more and more, what people want, what users want, is to keep their information, their private information, in the country that they call home. And that's something that Cloudflare can enable that almost no one else can. Well, you know, it's funny. I, re I read this really excellent piece by RBC today because it is birthday week. And what they talked about was people are going to want control of where their data is handled, which should address potential compliance and regulatory requirements that are likely to arise as governments create policies around AI. So you're anticipating what the governments are going to do. Yeah, and we've already seen this. Italy banned the use of ChatGPT for a limited period of time because they didn't want all of their data going back to the U.S. And most of the AI infrastructure today lives in the U.S. And I live in the U.S., and it's great that that data uh, can be in the U.S., but there's a whole bunch of the world that isn't in the United States, and they want to use AI tools too. And that's what Cloudflare today gave any developer in the world the ability to do, say that you can take your AI models put them all around the world and serve a global audience. And I think that's what's really unique and that's what's going to help position us to make sure that AI can move forward, there can be responsible regulation, but developers can still power the future. Right, well, I don't want to sh uh, give short shrift to some of the partners at Databricks. I've known them from, from what they do uh, with, with uh, Snowflake, I mean, competitors, Microsoft. But I thought that Meta was most interesting for me because people think Meta is just kind of a dull Instagram, you know, Facebook. It sounds like your partnership with them has got a, a, a sense that Meta is really a technology leader. Yeah, I think that what Meta has done is they've built sort of the rival large language model alternative to what OpenAI has done in their Llama 2 model. And so we worked with them in order to put that model on our edge and make sure that anyone can have easy access to it. But it goes beyond that. We also worked with Hugging Face, which is this really hot up and coming startup, which is sort of the GitHub for AI, where there are hundreds and thousands of models that are out there. And what we've done is work with them to say that whatever model you want to use to do AI, with one click, you can deploy it everywhere in the world, run that inference, get it in a very cost-effective way. So whether it's an established model like Llama that uh, Meta has built, or up-and-coming models that are listed on the Hugging Face um, at marketplace, 
we are making that available to any developer anywhere in the world. Okay, well, this is exactly why AI is exciting, but will also be additive to business. Matthew Prince is the CEO of Cloudflare, who's really got, really got, I think, one of the best handles on what AI means. Thank you, Matthew, and happy birthday. Thank you so much, Jim. All right, great to talk to you. We need to stay on this, people. Everyone's gotten sick of the hype of AI. This is not hype. This is business. That's what we care about. We care about earnings per share, and it's going to be there soon enough. Man, money's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer's Walking on Sunshine, a renewed interest in some top solar power picks. Next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. After a wild ride today where oil soared, stocks did very badly until late afternoon oversold bounce, you need to know that some big winners from high energy prices have just been obliterated in the last few months. I'm talking about the solar place. People love those. But, for example, the Invesco Solar ETF is down more than 27% since the end of June, even though solar gets more attractive when fossil fuels get more expensive, right? I mean, oil's at 93, 94. Shouldn't these be soaring? What's happening here? Simple. While the solar stocks do benefit from higher oil, they're hurt by the other thing that's been soaring, and that's interest rates, which are a more powerful metric when it comes to solar. Home solar systems need to be financed, so higher rates make them more expensive. While housing's held up surprisingly well despite higher mortgage rates, people actually need homes to live in. Solar panels are much more discretionary. They can be cut out if the cost of financing is too high and the payback's smaller than those pesky interest charges. And that's why I've been very selective with the solar stocks since the Fed started tightening. I've only recommended two of them regularly. First, Solar, the best of breed solar panel maker, and Enphase Energy, which makes microinverters for residential solar systems. Let's take them one at a time. First, Solar is one of the few stocks in the group that's actually working right now. It's up nearly 6% year-to-date. Okay, that's much worse than the S&P 500, but much better than its alternative energy compadres. What makes First Solar so special? Well, FSLR is one of the few publicly traded solar companies that regularly makes money. Well, there you go. That's something, huh? Technically, they reported a loss last year thanks to higher costs from raw materials and transport. But that was their first full-year losses coming public in 2006. This year, First Solar is guiding for astronomical $7 to $8 of earnings per share. Next year, analysts think they could make $13 a share, at least close to it. Even better, this is a cheap stock, one that sells for just over 12 times next year's earnings. That's with solar stock. That'd be a bargain almost in the energy industry, to say nothing of the solar industry, where you've got so many pure growth plays with no earnings whatsoever. There are a few other reasons that First Solar's work this year. First, they primarily sell to commercial customers, not ordinary homeowners. These, it's a B2B situation. These uh, commercial customers are much less sensitive to higher interest rates. And if they're even worried about financing charges, their large orders have been placed years in advance. That's one reason it's so easy to recommend First Solar. They're sold out through 2026, for heaven's sake. By contrast, the residential-focused Solar Edge Technologies is down nearly 55% for the year. Businesses love First Solar because it makes a superior product. Their thin-film photovoltaic 
photovoltaic technology uses 98% less semiconductor material than traditional solar panels. That results in a cheaper and a more efficient product. Last but not least, First Solar is the largest domestic solar panel manufacturer, and that's by far. See, they used to be a big liability when we had to contend with a flood of Chinese uh, solar panels. They used to dump here, subsidized by the communist government. But ever since President Trump hit the Chinese solar industry with tariffs, First Solar's business got a lot stronger. And last year, President Biden extended those same tariffs for another four years. On top of that, the global supply chain disruptions during the pandemic made everybody feel a little less confident about sourcing stuff from overseas. And, of course, there's the Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, which is full of subsidies for the purchase of, yes, solar energy systems that are made here in America. That's for solar. No wonder the order book is full through 2026. So I think the stock can still be bought here, especially I think it should be bought here. Especially, it's pulled back more than 31% from its highs in May, including a 16% decline during this miserable month that, we just, that we're almost done with. First Solar just hosted an analyst day earlier this month that I thought was pretty encouraging. Uh, but Wall Street didn't seem to care because the group's out of stock. Analysts were fretting about how much these guys could make in 2027, the first year they're not sold out. I couldn't believe it. I mean, who the heck has that visibility anyway? Now, the other solar name I've recommended regularly for quite some time is Enphase Energy. Let's talk about it because we don't dodge things with the so. It's a much residential focus. It's, it's residential mostly, and it's down. Yes, 55% for the year. What? Now, I've been liking it for a lot more time than this year, but let's just go over this. I liked Enphase and have liked it because it's focused on something called microinverters, the components that convert captured solar energy into usable energy. Previously, inverters sat at the edge of any given set of solar panels. You aggregate the energy from the panels, take it to one big inverter. Enphase has created microinverters that convert solar power to electricity at the site of each solar panel, making them more efficient. And the panels also last longer. See, they have like a better mousetrap, okay? And that's why they're profitable. Now, the problem here is that Enphase built a better mousetrap for not the uh, business market, but the residential solar market. And that's the one I told you has been obliterated by the Fed's relentless rate hikes. Towards the beginning of the year, Enphase was still reporting solid quarters, but its guidance was a bit soft, which led to some sharp sell-offs for the stock, including a 25% single-day decline in April. Then, when Enphase last reported in July, they had a small sales shortfall and issued very soft revenue guidance for the next quarter. Management said the weak outlook was, and I quote, a one-time correction as it worked through excess inventory if you're not selling as much as expected in the first half. That was the kiss of death. I hope they're right, but who's to say things won't get worse during the rest of the year? And that's what people are betting. So should you bet on Enphase? I got to tell you, I'm torn. And first, you could argue, Jim, you've been so wrong this year. Who even cares? And I get that. I've been in this business a long time. I wish I'd warn you away from it higher. I didn't do that. That was wrong of me. But I can't count on stumping it down here. Remember, this is a profitable company, and stocks of profitable companies get cheaper as they go lower. In the past four years, Enphase has typically traded 60 times forward earnings. It's now at 24 times forward earnings. So it's much, much cheaper. Enphase also has a big expansion underway in Europe. You know, they are much more ahead of us when it comes to uh, any natural uh, form of energy. And that could offset the weaker U.S. market. They have now uh, seemed to have a more realistic view of the situation. Hopefully, that soft third quarter sales forecast signals that management will be more conservative going forward. Makes me think the big shortfalls are probably a thing of the past. That's why I'm not prepared to throw in the towel on Enphase. But again, I've been wrong on the stock all year. I'm not the best judge. Bottom line, the solar sector has been wrecked over the past few months. And while most of them deserve to get crushed by higher rates, first solar is different. It's an enterprise-oriented solar play, not residential. Great technology sold out for years to come. Nothing to worry about First Solar. That's why the stock's held up. 
Enphase, though, it's a residential solar play, so it's been dragged down along with the rest of the group. I think they've gotten their house in order, but it's still very much in show-me mode as rates go higher, spoiling the solar part of the story. Mark in Iowa, Mark. Hi, Jim. I hope you're well and love the club. Oh, thank you. Boy, we've been working around the clock. And uh, that's a you know, good deal on that oscillator that I talked about. Uh, it, it's been so right in terms of uh, get, making sure that we don't bat, uh, you know, don't just blow out of positions. How can I help you, Mark? Hey, the Department of Energy has a 10-year program to aid in the development of plants to produce electricity from fusion and the hubs to supply the hydrogen. To do this, they will need AI, hydrogen, and infrastructure. It's very early now, and not forgetting the mad money rule about companies that don't make money, what will be the best play here? The companies generating the electricity or the ones supporting it? Well, I think that um, it's going to be very hard. I think the ones that are generating it, uh, look, in the end, the only one I'm really trusting right here, because we care so much about profitability, as you said, for the club, I, I, I am going with, with First Solar. Uh, and nuclear, I am sp- recommending as a, sp- as a total spec. UEC, there, I just said it. Out of the, I can't believe I recommend that stock because it's up a lot this year. But a $5 stock that's a spec, count me in. I like it. All right, the solar sector's been wrecked over the past few months. But you know what? I still think First Solar is inexpensive relative to its history. So is Enphase, but that's been a loser. Much more mad money ahead. Retail sectors up against consumer concerns, rising rates, ongoing theft problems. Ugh. Can Costco continue to rise above its retail peers? It's king. Don't miss my exclusive. Very rare with Costco's top brass, and that's fresh off earnings. Then Target announces closing stores in major cities across the country. Is this crime crackdown strategy the answer? Some say it's just a way to get earnings per share up. That's not what I say. I'll give you my take. You know, all your calls, of course, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. At a time when the vast majority of retailers are struggling, Kramer fave Costco is doing great. Last night, Costco reported another excellent quarter, slightly better than expected same-store sales, overall sales and earnings. At the same time, membership count came in higher than anticipated. And like nearly every other chain, they don't have much of a problem with theft because people don't steal from themselves. That's right. This is a member-only operation. In response, Costco stock rallied 2% today. It's now up 23% for the year, which is why we got to understand how they can keep pulling this off. So let's check in with Craig Jelinek. He's the CEO of Costco. You got a better sense of the quarter and what comes next. Mr. Jelinek, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, thanks for having me today. Thank you very much. Well, I'm thrilled you're here. You had an amazing quarter, which made me feel, frankly, that it's just business as usual at Costco. It margins up, membership way up. And while I know you are never satisfied because I'm aware of the way you operate, it does seem that you have to be happy with these results. Well, we're certainly happy. We, we would hope sales would actually have been a little bit better. Um, but that's not the case. You know, non-food pricing has come down significantly based on a roughly 60 percent uh, change in price or discount price on container costs versus where they were last year. But one of the things like uh, TVs, things like that, although the units are up slightly, uh, we're not seeing a lot of big improvement in dollars in, in sales in some of those categories. Our health and beauty aids, our apparel continues to be very strong. Our Christmas is starting out uh, very well. We're very, very pleased with that. 
But uh, and so is our food sundries. Now, keep in mind, last year, you know, people kind of forget last year, everybody was over inventory. And to get through the year, we had to take some big markdowns to move sporting goods, furniture, things like that. So that's one of the reasons also the margins have improved a little bit based on markdowns last year, uh, not necessarily anything that uh, we're doing. But at the same time, you did have a nice decline in inflation. Rich Glanty talked about 3-4% last quarter down to 1-2%. to Is some of that because uh, the Kirkland brand's putting pressure on the branded? Or is some of that just because you've told the branded guys, come on, man, you've got to give us a break here? Well, you know, everybody's trying to give everybody, tell all the branded to give a break. You know, you have a little bit more leverage over your own Kirkland signature. All I can say is... Our Kirkland signature is coming down much probably faster than the brands are coming down. And uh, also, one of the things that's happening also, over last year, our Kirkland signature is up 1.5% higher in uh, penetration. And the sales increase in Kirkland signatures up almost 16% this year over last year. So, you know, Kirkland signature is part of our stick. Well, I great want, quality at a great price. But I want to know. I want people to understand that you actually are trading up, not trading down when you go to Kirkland Signature. And one of the reasons I say this is because other than Coca-Cola, I can't think of anything you started the Kirkland Signature that hasn't taken share away from the brand. Well, there's there's really only a couple. We've never did well on our uh, best food mayonnaise, so to speak, and we never did well on our Kirkland Signature beer. So leave it at that. Other than that, we've been very successful with our Kirkland Signature uh, brand as a whole. Now, a lot of people have been talking about the theft at various stores. When I go into my Costco, I always feel like I'm a member of a club. Why would I steal from a club? It looks like that theft is not an issue, much to speak of, at Costco. Well, let's, let me ask, tell you that our shrink is up slightly one basis point, and there's a lot of reasons for that. First of all, in four of our top 20 shrink items this year, were things that we call underneath the basket. Toilet paper, water, paper towels, and we even had watermelons in there. Now, these are items that are self-inflicted that uh, we should be catching these things as we're running through the register. So, you know, that's on us. Do we have a little upticks and maybe in apparel? Yes, we do. But I'm not prepared to say that that's not when I say internal issues. Could be receiving, could be how we're handling the merchandise when we're sending it back to the supplier. So there's a lot of issues there. I would not say that shrink is on a huge up, uprise in our operation. All right. Now, one thing that was was tremendous sales in very tiny but a one-ounce gold bars. Apparently, as soon as you get them in there, so what does that say to you? Well, what it's saying, we talk about this all the time. You know, you can talk yourself off the both sides of the cliff. You say, hey, look, the economy's really bad, blah, 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 blah. And then, which, in my opinion, it's not great. But you put these $2,000 gold uh, bullions on there, and they sell out um, very quickly. The reason for that is the value of that gold that we're, we're selling. We're, you know, we'll take uh, less than a 1% markup on that, and we sell it uh, very fast. It also drives a lot of people to our website. Well, I was going to say that uh, to me it was a website item and that you're doing a lot of changes to your website that is going to make it far more competitive. I know that's not really been a major focus, but it seems like it is now. Well, it is. And we're, you know, we're improving on our app. Uh, we're going to what we call Costco Next, which is a marketplace 
but it's a marketplace for our suppliers, not necessarily a third-party seller. Our suppliers, and we control everything that goes on that site, include of, you know, when I say control, we look at the pricing, we look at the competitive situation. So we're looking at the pricing in these items all the time, just like we would our own website. The difference is the supplier fulfills instead of Costco fulfilling to the uh, member. Oh, that makes a ton of sense, but others don't do that. Let me ask you something. It's a little more subjective. I'm seeing a lot of videos, lots of TikToks from younger people who have no affiliation with you whatsoever, but are probably your greatest brand salespeople. I'm wondering, has your demographic had this uh, a very big shift to younger people? Are you seeing more younger people sign up than typical? We're seeing more younger people sign up. Absolutely. What you don't see is their purchases, they're slightly going up as they become longer members. But initially, the purchasing power from the younger generation compared to the boomers or X is a little bit different um, on what they're buying. So some of them haven't even started families yet. So their purchases are, are less. But at the same time, I mean, what I found interesting is that many younger people don't have, they live in one bedroom, they live in studio apartments. They typically would not be Costco users of giant closets and put all that paper towel in. So these people are attracted, I think, because there's something different at Costco. I think people feel that they're getting a bargain beating you, when in reality, you're, you're, not, you're based on volume, not on price. Absolutely. You know, we, we're not a margin house. We're a volume house. Our concept is always be sell merchandise for the lowest possible price, how much you could lower the price, not how you can make more margin. And that's the way we run our business. That's the way we've run our business for the last 40 years. And that's how we'll continue to uh, run the business. And someone who pays for a membership expects to get the best price possible in the marketplace. And I think everybody appreciates that. Well, I was going to say, um, it seems like worldwide. I mean, I know that our relations with China have been frosty. I know when you open a Costco, there's thousands of people who sign up in China before it even opens, and that the enthusiasm for a Costco in China is probably, other than in some places in America, the strongest of all your your chain. Well, China's had a very strong start to the market. We have five over there that are, are doing relatively well. And we have two more to open uh, in the next three months. So we're uh, we're bullish on China at the moment. And there's nothing suggests why there's not greater opportunity in that country. Now, when when you open one, I mean, is it just all word of mouth? Because we're finding that the Chinese have been cloistered lately. They've not been involved with anything American. But this seems to be viral for you guys in China. Well, we think so. But that's kind of how we've always built the business. As you know, we don't, it's a membership driven. We've never done any advertising. Uh, we're not really involved in TikTok or Facebook or any of those other things. We let people talk about us and word of mouth is how you build the business. So that's, it's got a lot more credibility than what we say when your consumer is talking about you. So that's kind of how we run the model. And that's why everybody likes Costco so much. It's pretty simple. Craig Jelinek is the CEO of Costco. Craig, it's great that you came on the show. I really appreciate it. Well, Jim, I appreciate you, and uh, take good care, okay? Thank you. Same. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. 
we get the lightning round, there's something really exciting that I want to share with you. The reason it's so special is because it's just for you, Mad Money viewers. You always hear me talking about the work I do for the community that is the CNBC Investing Club. Well, for just a few days more, I'm going to share a little of the taste of the work that I do with Jeff Marks during the day. Earlier in our 10:20 morning meeting, when the market opened up, and this is, by the way, exclusive to the subscribers of the club, Jeff and I urged subscribers not to buy the open. We thought it would be phony. Here's why. Dow started today's session higher, but throughout the day, uh, it, it inched lower, ultimately down over 300 points at its lows before making up those gains. And Nasdaq was even worse. Those who were rewarded, who waited, they were rewarded with buying prices much better because of a viciously oversold tape. Jeff and I are there for club members every day to help you navigate a confusing one tape like this. And those that paid attention and told to stay away at the open but got a better chance at the low, well, I don't know, you did pretty well. I think this stuff is so pertinent, so important to educating you about be a better investor that I think you should join. And it's worth it. I mean, look, we have some insights that are good. We have some that aren't. But, boy, I'll tell you, at all times, we do our best. So grab your phone, open your camera, and point it to QR code or go to cnbc.com slash offer. I think you'll like it. A lot of the people who call in sure do. Do our best. Not always right, but sure do try. And now it is time. It's time for the lightning round. Here's the best word. Rapid fire is one of these same names. Talk to you. Bye-bye-bye. Just be careful. You know, plan yourself. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? It's time for the lightning round. Let's start with Steven in Tennessee. Steven. Hey, thank you for taking my call, Jim. No problem, Stephen. What's hey, up? Wanted to get your opinion on Solaris oil field infrastructure, ticker symbol SOI, mainly. Well, you know what? It's kind of an inexpensive stock that's in the oil field play that I actually like very much. I think it's a very good spec here. Let's go to Brian in Utah. Brian. Hey, Jim. Brian Smith. How are you? I am doing well, Brian. How about you? Good. Listen, uh, CBS just think a long-term next-gen AI software deal with a company called Versus AI, trading symbol Victor, Romeo, Sam, okay. Frank, Frank, that should reduce operational costs by 30% in their warehouse operations. And, of course, they're going to shut down 900 stores in right. the next three years. Is CVS a buy or sell? Well, my problem with CVS is I've articulated with some of these companies that have a big theft problem. They have not addressed the theft problem in a way that makes me feel like that they've got it under control. So I'm going to have to say not yet. George in Massachusetts. George. Uh, hi, Jim. Um, I own stock in a company that manufactures and services equipment for the distribution and monitoring of electrical energy. Analysts expect the, the sales the analysts expect sales to be up 29% this year, and they expect the earnings per share to, to triple this year. What do you think of Powell Industries? Profitable company levered to the right kind of market. It's an infrastructure and electricity market, and that has been one of my, uh, what I think has been one of the great plays for 2023. I reiterate, you got a winner. Let's go to Brad in New York. Brad. Hey, Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller, and thank you for everything you do for us small investors. Oh, man, I'd that's like what the club's about, too. Thank you. Go ahead. I'd like to get your thoughts around a high-dividend-yielding stock with lots of cash and a low valuation. Calmain Foods, ticker C-A-L-M. Yeah, see, I don't want that dividend. If I I need growth. And if I want to go eggs, I'll go buy it at Costco, which is where it's a great place to buy eggs, as a matter of fact. Let's go to Brent, Michigan. Brent. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. All right, hey. Professor Dave says I'm a professor. This gentleman said I must be. I must have tenure. What's going on? Two-part question. Uh, 
Boeing keeps losing altitude? Is it a buy, sell, or hold down here? And secondly, should Boeing do more of its own manufacturing, similar to Airbus, versus relying on contractors? Well, remember, they, they sold a lot of those contractors. That was their thing. And, I, you know, in retrospect, I think it was a big mistake. They may dispute that. But that makes me feel like that Boeing is, is still not right. I think you can go a little bit lower. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. Coming up, we're not done yet. Keep it here for Kramer's hottest take of the day. Next. Is there a better way to celebrate the Phillies clinching a playoff berth than ransacking a bunch of Apple Footlock and Lululemon stores? And that's what happened last night in Center City, Philadelphia. Jeez, it's almost like become a proud local tradition. And looters got away with some real inventory, enough to make real money on the online marketplaces that let them fence this stuff. Without replenishment, of course, these crooked marketplaces based on stolen goods ripped off en masse won't be reliable. It's not like they got a Confident or a Splunk or an Adobe to ensure the suppliers steal the merchandise that the public wants. I wish I were joking. Tens of billions of dollars of stuff gets stolen each year in this country, and the regulators do nothing to crack down on the digital fences who make shoplifting so lucrative. Yesterday, Target took the bold action of closing stores in New York, Seattle, San Francisco, and Portland, because those stores are, are just aren't worth operating with all the theft and organized retail crime causing way too much havoc for the stores to handle safely. In other words, sure, they were losing money, but they're losing money because the stores simply aren't capable of stopping organized theft. It's not made up. Two Home Depot workers were killed in vain attempts to confront shoplifters. That's horrendous. And that's what Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, is most worried about, among other dangers when he announced the closures. Some incorrectly doubted his sincerity and tried to make it into some sort of earnings per share thing. But you better believe that he cares about helping people get the merchandise they need, or else he would have closed a long time ago this store at 789 Mission Street in downtown San Francisco where theft is rampant. And don't I know it. Last year, I was in that Target when I saw something amazing. I was next up at the register when the person in front of me dropped change all over the floor, causing cashiers to scurry around to help pick up the customer's money. At that exact moment, not accidentally, a wave of people ran out of the store with pretty much everything they valuable they get their hands on. It's one of the most unnerving retail experiences I've ever had. And, I wonder, and that includes the fact that I once saw a customer in front of me pull a knife and rob the cashier at a downtown San Francisco Walgreens long since closed. Two police officers caught the scoff law and gave him a stern warning as part of what one of them told me was San Francisco's own catch and release program. But the Target ransacking was different, like a movie where looters were scrambling before some sort of apocalypse. I talked to a guard at the bottom of the stairs in the Mission Street Target before the ransacking and asked her if there was a lot of theft at the store because I saw a bunch of individuals help administer hypodermic needles to each other's feet a few doors down. She said yes, but she also said there was nothing she could do about it. When I saw her on the way out after the raid, she said, see, I called Brian Cornell, the CEO, after this insanity and stressed to me, stressed to him that the store was, uh, was seemed dangerous. He stressed to me that it was important to the community. He's not some sort of rapacious capitalist monster. If he only cared about the money, he would have just cut the, he would have shut the store down years ago. I bring all of this up because we forget how dangerous it can be for retail workers to deal with shoplifters. I was at a San Francisco Banana Republic when a gentleman and I were trying on sweaters. He just walked out wearing four of them on a hot day, no less. And I looked, told the cashier, and she just shrugged. Uh, it's not their job to confront criminals. That's why the attempts by retailers to stop organized crime are so important. They're obviously failing, because unless somebody's stealing big-ticket items in most places, prosecutors simply don't care that much about petty larceny. However, I don't understand why retailers are actually trying to get new laws in the book. They 
that they're not going to be enforced when they have a good one. RICO, the Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, gives prosecutors a chance to throw the book at the criminals who fenced the stolen goods on sites that look real on Amazon. It's ironic. While Lena Khan, the head of the FTC, goes after Amazon for monopolistic behavior, she'll soon have to deal with the notion that Amazon's just a plain old safer place to shop than brick and mortar. But for those who believe that it's all about earnings, let me tell you something. It's about stores that are out of control. I've seen it with my own eyes. By the way, I'll never forget the man who was running out of Target carrying as many big bottles of cranberry juice as possible. Real juggling act. I had to duck to avoid getting my head bashed in. Well, that would have been a big price to pay for shopping at what I am sure was once a very nice store. We are all at risk these days. I say enough is enough. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warn its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Mad Money Disclaimer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.